Hello, Erica. Where are we? In the village. Talking about the sixth episode that we've watched. Stop saying numbers. No. We are not a number. We are a free podcast. Uh, the General. That's the that's the episode that we've watched today is The General. Mm-hmm. This one is particularly contentious in regards to episode order because it involves a number two who we've seen before. Not only does it involve a number two that we've seen before, but in the order we are watching, this is the second, of course, that we have seen of him. Colin Gordon. And he says during the opening credits, you know, they say, who are you? I am the new number two. Whereas the previous outing where we saw him, he just said, I am number two. Hmm. And yet in this episode, the general, he says about number six, uh, we're old friends and we've known each other for a long time. So, And he also says, do you still want to get away from here? Which is the kind of thing that he could have known from his file, but also yeah. sort of implied familiarity it's this show is just so messed up i kind of love it i do too i it would be so sad if there was a strict (laughs) episode viewing order with strict continuity happening between each of the episodes yep but uh yeah i i did not remember that much until we got like a quarter of the way to the episode and then it all sort of fell and fell into place and i i remembered quite a bit because i like this one what was the what was the moment that triggered it for you uh, it was the moment when the he finds the tape, and actually it's, it's when he is able to actually listen to it, so he comes back and, and finds it, and number 12 gives it to him, and he's listening, and the general must be destroyed, and the way the phrasing is, uh, the first time I saw it, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know what that means, and then you can see that obviously number six for a little while is thinking that maybe the wife is actually the general, she's the one pulling the pulling the strings behind the curtain. I only picked up on that the first because I never looked closely at the painting that he does when he's when she's wearing a general's outfit. Yep, yep. So that's the drawing. Which, incidentally, obviously the the version that they used was a retake because when she's looking at the picture and you kind of have an over the shoulder shot of her holding it, it has this weird sort of crease like mark across the center. Which once she tore it, I realized oh it was torn before they just taped it back together for the next take because they only had one drawing. Um, But anyway, so it was kind of uh, at that moment that I I remembered, oh, right, the general's not a person at all. It's a machine. Um, And that's that's where we're heading. And with the the exception of the way that number six wins, I quite like this. I quite like this story and the way that it all plays out. It's such a sort of classic science fictional trope of man versus machine. Computers are scary. Oh, I like it. And it's it, this is this is very much the prisoner doing its psychedelic 60s science fictional hoo-ha sort of stuff like uh-huh. hoodoo. Yeah, it's fun. It's like space hypnotism with like spinning mm-hmm. modules and stuff and weird music and zooms into eyes and stuff like that. Yeah, just a, a still picture in black and white of a man and then you zoom into his eye and it's like, you know, neon green psychedelic hal and it's just yeah, it is delightful. With some creepy music going on too. That was some effective music. I liked it. Yep. Yes, and also the uh, the way that the music is used when uh, number two is interrogating number six about all the history stuff, and the music just gets louder and louder, and just like crescendos, and then boom, like stops just as as number two is mm-hmm. and this 
And number six, stop speaking because they're they're speaking exactly the same. They have those lines, which that must have taken a decent amount of rehearsal because they were really pretty well in tandem. And then boom, music cuts out. They stop talking. It's it's a very effective moment. It really is. It's the prisoner takes on um, institutionalized education, essentially. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure if he's going against uh, college uh, education or um, new math, but uh, yeah. that's 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 sort of the theme of this episode. Or even just the idea of learning by rote. The fact that knowing a bunch of dates and facts counts as anything because you know he says you know what do you have a row full a row of cabbages or whatever you know well-informed cabbages but what what good is all of that information if you don't have context which is something that uh the teachers are still struggling with these days uh, i know in the states my mom was a teacher uh and retired years ago but that was one of the things that I assume that they're probably still dealing with is do you teach to the test? Do you make sure the kids know all of the facts and figures so that they can, you know, get enough things right on the multiple choice test? Or do you want to actually, you know, give them the capacity to broaden their understanding of the world and learn how to learn, so to speak? It's a tough one. Good job. Good job, the prisoner. Is this the uh, is this the basis of the no child left behind thing, where everything is in Texas, where everything is basically funneled in to testing and not actual education? Yeah, that was that was a part of that. Yeah, sad, sad. See, the prisoner was like way ahead of its time. We should have sent this to <laughs> to the board of education of every elementary school yeah. in the United States. Mm-hmm. Would have would have solved so much. Perhaps they had a giant supercomputer behind a curtain mm-hmm. running things there, making slightly Wotan-esque noises. I don't know if you noticed that the sound effects are somewhat Wotan-y. I was I didn't notice the sound effects. I just I noticed the sort of the the style of it. It was like Wotan meets Boss to mm-hmm. to talk about Doctor Who things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is um, kind of fun, you know. It goes along with that 1960s mistrust of computers, mm-hmm. feeding papers in and getting these weird punch card things that you <laughs> feed to the computer. But, and but this was a silver punch yeah. card. That was so much cooler than the usual, you know, like tagboard or Manila punch cards. This is bright, shiny silver that you walk from one room to another. Mm-hmm. Ooh, <laughs> no crazy internet for us. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was written by, I think I remember from the opening credits, a guy called Joshua Adams, who I don't think wrote any other episodes, but I find that there are episodes that are sort of written by, or certainly with the heavy hand of Patrick McGowan, and there's ones that aren't. And the ones that are written sort of by Patrick McGowan sort of have like kind of an escape theme to it. This one is very much a wanting to sort of smash the establishment kind of thing to the point where there's... The, the surprising thing for me is is that number 12, because in the past there's sort of been co-conspirators and then they are revealed by the end to sort of be, you know, also agents of the village trying to get them to turn. I don't think number 12 is. No, there's there's no indication that he is an, an inside man, like, in, in that way. Like, he really does want to smash the system from within, uh, you know, so he gives them those little tokens that are like way to repurpose a gimmicky bank that's like a toy for kids that was exactly uh the um 
something from the Adams family. The thing that is the thing, the hand coming up there. Apparently, McGowan wanted to put those in there. Expressly wanted to put those in this uh, this thing. An Adams family toy. Yep. Super cute. Um, but yeah, it was it was effective and it worked. And like that, the moment where McGowan sets the the thing in there and like taps it down, yeah. and like you just have to sit there waiting for it to like spin inside, waiting for it to slowly open up, waiting for the tiny hand to go yeah. out, and then zoom, <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> yeah. It's just like it was. It seemed perfectly at home in the prisoner whereas i think in almost any other show that moment of waiting and dead space Mm -hmm. would just be interminable and insufferable but here it just it fits the weirdness of this series and it kind of builds on the tension Mm -hmm. will he get in is he gonna get in is this Mm -hmm. gonna accept yep go ahead yep yeah it's uh it's interesting and i find that yeah this is not an escapee episode but it's one that gives us another angle on what the heck the village is because not only is it a place for retired spies and a place that's also a prison and all of that it's a place that's used to experiment on human beings to see if these weird psychedelic sci-fi technologies Mm -hmm. are going to be useful to the greater world Whoa. Yeah. First, you know, right now we're, we're stuck to resorted to teaching history, but mm-hmm. in the future, perhaps, you know, we'll get to just like implant thoughts of our mo- basically creating Manchurian candidates in a way, you know, all, all the world around. It, it could be Manchurian candidates. That's one possibility. Also, they could they could use it just to sort of um, perhaps instill the societal values that they think are mm-hmm. important or that will will quell people you know instead of pumping bread and circuses and reality television at people they could just you know give them 15 seconds of the professor's eyeball mm-hmm. and and then boom you have a more domesticated populace yeah i i found it um back to number 12 for a second i'm just think this is the prisoner inspires this in me over analyzing um but of course last episode that we watched was the schizoid man mm-hmm. uh so the doppelganger of number six was in fact number 12 Mm -hmm. and here number 12 is someone who's actually helping number six is this like a tyler durden fight club kind of thing where he's like creating this number 12 (laughs) of his own mind no because number two is there the whole time and interacting with both of them Mm -hmm. very clearly separately but it is interesting if we go back to the episode order that we have a number 12 here and Number two asks him, how long have you been with us? And number 12 says, quite a while. Mm-hmm. But we just saw a different number 12. So is there is this the wrong order, quote unquote wrong order, or is there a really long gap there? Uh, it's interesting. Well, perhaps time passes differently in the village. <laughs> Who knows? It is a it is a weird, weird place. Mm-hmm. Is it is it time for my... Um, my cosplay segment it's always time for your cosplay <laughs> segment who which character and or thing would you want to cosplay <laughs> at a prisoner convention well as we were watching it i joked uh can i cosplay as the drapes because the set design is just so amazing uh and this these drapes are actually even better than far better than the drapes in the uh in the previous episode um the uh the dark green um, sort of patterned like tapestry looking with a fringe oh those were gorgeous well I said green is your color that's true that's true and <laughs> I said can I can I cosplay as the drapes and you said sure and then it cuts to a close up on the the gilded doors kind of light green door with a, the gold gilt <laughs> and Steven says only if I can cosplay as the door 
<laughs> and I'm like, deal. Uh, but that's that's not really my choice. Nope. Um, so, so when it comes to actual clothing and outfits, early on, uh, at the very, very, very beginning, we see an overhead shot from the POV of the helicopter. Mm-hmm. When you see uh, a bunch of people walking around the, the pool in the center of the village, and there's one person who has an umbrella that is turquoise and black. Um, I would really like to have that umbrella. That doesn't doesn't entirely count as a cosplay, but I would like to have that umbrella. Yeah, I don't think we've seen that umbrella before. It kind of reminds me of the butler's umbrella, which is, of course, white and black. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to be looking in crowd shots in the future to see if I can find the turquoise and black mm-hmm. umbrella again. Yeah, because other than that, all we see pretty much are just like the the many colored ones which i don't particularly mm-hmm. dig but um okay so that's the that's the accessory i would most okay, like right. um then we had the wife the professor's wife um in a pretty like banging like psychedelic top and like a mustard almost pencil skirt mm-hmm. i was like oh that's nice like i could i could wear that to work and that would <laughs> that would be flattering that would be very nice but then then uh-huh. I saw the uh, the fellows all dressed up with the top hats, and go. and I was like, if I could have like a femi version, like tailored mm-hmm. tailored coat, long black coat yeah. with the uh, with the top hat and the weird sunglasses. The sunglasses make it the sort of the nineteen sixty seven Steppenwolf sunglasses. <laughs> well, they're not even really sunglasses; they're like the kind of granny sunglasses that like you know the old ladies put over their glasses right. to drive in the car. Uh-huh. Um, which is great because I could just wear them over my glasses, so yeah, it'd be perfect. Because they had to go over Colin Gordon's glasses as number two, so I imagine they had to make them extra big. But okay, <laughs> but then we get to the truth of the matter, which is the very final scene, and I am crushed in my heart that we did not get a close up on this outfit. But the dress that the professor's wife is wearing at the end, when number number six, I assume, goes over, you don't hear it, but to to tell her that her husband has has passed away mm-hmm. and she's very sad. That is a nice dress. I love the line of it. I love the cut. I would like to wear that dress. I just wish I could see it closer to see how neat the pattern is. But I feel like it's it's earth tones that would go well with my my complexion. So yeah, there we go. I'm sure that the general's wife, in her moment of distress is comforted by the fact that you enjoyed her dress. That rhymed. Very nice. Uh, That scene actually sort of shed some light on the previous scene because I wasn't sure if the professor and the... Twelve uh, and number twelve were actually supposed to be dead because in that shot the guy who plays number twelve very clearly like kind of like blinks and moves his yeah. face so I I didn't know if they were just knocked out and they were going to be you know revived at some point so the fact that you get this long shot sequence of number six walking like from behind the camera up to the now widow and and her sitting down and looking distraught was I mean a nice a nice way to do that mm-hmm. I find a lot of I think as we talked about last time and the time before we have a lot of number six by himself and not saying anything so he has to convey a lot with his his face and his actions and his yeah. body language and this was another sequence where it wasn't just him you know she was having to do that so we got a lot of information from this scene and there was zero dialogue 
Yeah, and it's all in long shot, as you say. Mm-hmm. So we see her. Yeah, it's it's her. The general's wife sort of like has to convey. Professor's wife. I, Prof- keep, I know me too. Yeah. yeah, I keep saying general's wife. No, professor's wife. The professor's wife having to sort of convey all that as the as number six, who kind of indirectly caused her husband's death, is sort of the one to pass on the information. Yeah, well, I mean, if you can take it back a number of steps, you could say that it's her fault that he died because she's the one that got him to collaborate, you know, which was in order to keep him alive. But, mm. you know, there's, they made their choices. Everybody made their choices. I'm not going to place too much blame on number six, except right. for the fact that he is the one that does the, and this is the the one fault that I have with this episode, mm-hmm. and perhaps it's simply because I'm looking back at this from the year 2017 where computers are ubiquitous and we understand a little bit about how they work, you know, no matter who we are. That the idea of the computer mind not being able to get past a simple, you know, an unanswerable question. It's sort of like, you know, war games and the (laughs) tic-tac-toe. Like, that's... That's the denouement of that. You're talking about the Matthew Broderick film? Yeah. Uh, yes, not the Doctor Who. Okay, I haven't seen the Matthew Broderick film, so I will take your word for this. It, yeah, it's a uh, it's a computer, right. and it's going to you know start th- thermonuclear war, mm-hmm. and Matthew Broderick teaches it to play tic-tac-toe, and the computer determines that there is literally no way to win if you don't start the game. The only way to win is not to play, and that is what cancels it out. Like... <laughs> It's it's ridiculous. It really is. Uh, and this was sort of the same thing that, you know, you put in the question why. It's a philosophical question. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, the idea that the computer would be able to answer any concrete question is... I mean that might as well be fantasy right there. Mm-hmm. So it's just one step farther. I don't. I, I'm sure if I was a kid or a teenager seeing this, I would have been fine with it. Uh, at this point, I think I've just seen it done too many times. It's Captain Kirk outsmarting the you know ubiquitous machine intelligence. <laughs> Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, yeah, like all of any of those sorts of things. Oh, it just it has happened a lot. But in 1967, was yeah, that? it's made in 67 certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back in 1967, uh, people hadn't. Seen seen it as many times so i'm going to give it a pass and plus there was a general distrust i think i said before of computers and i think it's almost like humanity through you know script writers basically kind of one-upping computers and so sure they can do all this but can they think for themselves Mm -hmm. no humans are better and so that seems to always be the the result of these kinds of stories whenever there's computers involved i find yeah, it also makes me think of uh, Zoe in Doctor Who uh, outsmarting the computer at the beginning of the invasion mm-hmm. because she's smarter than the computer Yeah, because she's a human. Or around this same time period in uh, Doctor Who and the Ice Warriors as we'll come to watch in, in, in our spinoff <laughs> podcast, Lazy Doctor Who. Uh. <laughs> Wait, no. It's, we're the spinoff. Lazy Doctor Who would be the uh, spun-off? I don't know. What is it called? Progenitor? I don't know how it... It's our, it's our papa podcast. Papa podcast. It's <laughs> just like the papa pa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. What else about this episode do you want to talk about? I don't know. Oh. I think I've said all of my things. Have you? Uh. I, this is a good episode. Speaking of Doctor Who, for spotting Doctor Who actors. Yes, you had to point them out to me, but once you pointed them out, I was like, aha! I know. I spotted at least four. Whoa. 
Uh, well, Angelo Muscat was—he's in every episode. He played. Uh, he was in. The, he was the Chumbly in one of the Chumblies in Galaxy Four. Calden Gordon, as we mentioned in our ABC, uh, he was in Faceless Ones around the same time period. Um, then we had the guy playing the waiter, uh, who sadly died not long after this. Actually, uh, played a key somebody. He played Otlock in the Aztecs. Yes, once once you pointed him like. P- pointed him out and said you recognize him at first i was like eh, and then you said that he played otlock uh, i was mm-hmm. like ah yes of course i can totally picture him being kind to barbara yeah because he had a hat and a wig mm-hmm. in the aztecs and so we didn't see his bright white hair uh and then the professor was played by peter howell um who i long thought was the radiophonic workshop musician peter howell <laughs> no. but it wasn't but it is peter howell who was in doctor who he was he will be in the mutants in about five years time after this mm. saying saying the line doctor who did you say <laughs> he says that <laughs> that joke comes up a lot yeah uh and i bet you there's a couple the guy who plays number 12 looks so familiar to me every time i watch this episode i want to look him up this time around, I told you he reminded me of uh, Nikolai Kosterwalda, who plays Jamie Lannister in Game of Thrones. He, he gave me that kind of vibe. It's still bugging me. His name is John Castle, which is a heroic name to begin with. <laughs> and he looks so familiar. And I thought the doctor who was taking care of um, the general mm-hmm. also looked familiar. I have a question about that. Um, what was the? Why did they have a dummy of the professor in bed? Did you did you pick up on that? My thought is mm-hmm. that she has the dummy of the professor there to sort of keep her company, which is weird and creepy, but Ooh. but yeah, but she's being kept away, forcibly kept away from her husband. Mm-hmm. They're not letting her see him because he's so hard at work. That is very well established in the script. Mm-hmm. Um, and also number 2 refers to that as like her masterwork or something like that. Yeah. So I think that that she has created that because she loves her husband and she misses him. I don't know that she would normally keep it in the bedroom. I think that part of it was specifically a ruse for number six because they saw number six heading that way or knew that had a feeling that eventually he would start investigating. Mm-hmm. So they they tucked the bust of him you know, into bed to make it look like he was resting so that number six would see, oh, this guy's asleep. I will go away for now. Mm-hmm. Whereas... He's not actually in that building at all. He's somewhere else being worked pretty much to death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. And the doctors actually weren't aware of this either because were they shocked by... Uh... Uh, the doctors had to have been aware of it because the doctor said, I've given him a sedative. Like he would know if he gave... <laughs> a st- Very bad doctors if they didn't realize <laughs> at that point that it was a dummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because remember, uh, they've been working closely with the doctor and the doctor has been paying close attention to um to his his patient mm-hmm. at the beginning you have number 12 being told to go tell the doctor to hurry up uh and then never mind i'll do it myself and number 12 actually starts off by saying the doctor will come here to talk to you number two about it soon um, so probably number two went to the doctor or the doctor was coming to number two they were planning on getting together anyway so right. uh, so number two keeps a close tabs on number six and they saw that he was hanging out in the garden of mm-hmm. this uh, this lady's house. So they knew that was happening. And then they saw him go off camera. So they figured something was up. They quick got in there. Possibly possibly the dummy head was already in bed. Maybe that's a thing that she has for comfort. I don't know. It's a weird show. Or maybe they just tucked it in there to fool him at that time. Who knows? 
Who knows indeed. Mm-hmm. Well, that shed some light and opened a lot more <laughs> doors than I was comfortable opening. Yeah, sometimes sometimes when you answer questions with more very uncomfortable weird questions. Questions are a burden to others, answers <laughs> a prison for oneself. Touche, sir. Touche. Um that's it for this one then. Mm-hmm. Uh the next do we I can't remember. Do we say what we're sure. going to talk about next? Um many happy returns is the next episode that we'll be talking about. This could be my favorite. There's another, I'm looking at the menu right now, and there's another one that is also perhaps my favorite. So uh, there's a couple episodes I'm looking, really looking forward to over the next um, few weeks that we do this. I don't remember most of them by the title. Mm-hmm. I see one that I think I remember really not liking, but it's not many happy returns. So we'll we'll see what happens in that one. I don't remember it. Well, you don't have to remember it because we'll be watching it next. Woo. Okay. On In the Village, the Prisoner Podcast on the Incomparable Network. Ugh, please don't ever do that again. Ugh, I feel it's like I need to take a shower. What was the deal with the guy who was like the, the MC in this? Al Mancini was his name. He looked familiar to me. He was an American. He just had this sort of... And he's walking around with a microphone hooked up to nothing and asking people various questions about the history lessons. It's a very weird thing, but it was also kind of like discomforting. I also liked that perhaps for the only time in history um, on TV that... It's the character actually says, and now someone who needs no introduction, and then actually doesn't give an introduction. <laughs> right. And I thought that is brilliant because they always say, and now someone who needs no introduction, and then they give an introduction. That's true. That was that was a great moment too because I was like, it, it was again, it was another thing that just felt perfect for this show. Mm-hmm. No introduction. And I felt completely off balance. Like, who is this lady? Yeah. And then I, like, you know, they would all know who she is if they've been taking the class, but I don't. So I'm on the back foot as a viewer. Mm -hmm. Just like number six is, he probably doesn't know. I get the impression that he doesn't know who she is either because otherwise, you know, he's our, he's our POV character so much. And it actually plays in because as you say, we're, you know, we're kind of led to believe that perhaps that is the general but since we don't get an introduction, I don't. If, I don't know if you remember this. This is a deep cut. Mm-hmm. But when we were at the Now Here This Festival mm-hmm. uh, last October in Anaheim, and we were about to record, I think it was inconceivable in the room after our incomparable panel. There was Dan Moore in there, and Lex Friedman, who of course always does the introductions for such things, was there because he was help running the convention. And then he actually does his introduction. He goes, "Well, could be conceivable." Blah blah blah, and he says. Uh, and now a man who needs no introduction and then he stops and everyone laughs because they thought it was a funny thing mm-hmm. and my mind immediately went back to the general because <laughs> and I thought that's surely not a reference but that's why I said I've never seen it happen before on TV mm-hmm. but I have seen it happen before in real life and it was very amusing oh my goodness well giving how many movies Lex has not seen yeah. uh I'm, I, I'm guessing that Lex has not seen The Prisoner, but you never know. If he's never seen Star Wars before, like That's this true. calendar year, he's never seen The Prisoner. That's true. That is true. Mm-hmm. Lex, watch The Prisoner. Yeah, because he's really listening to this podcast about a show he's never seen to hear you say, Lex, watch The Prisoner. Actually, I would be interested to hear what Lex yeah. thinks of The Prisoner. Mm-hmm. I would I would listen to that, that podcast of, uh, what is it, Not Playing? 
Yeah, perhaps we could speed learn the prisoner to him. In 15 seconds, he'd learn everything about the prisoner. Ooh. All, the, all that we would teach him was basically the different episode running orders and nothing <laughs> else. Yeah, that would be delightful. Yeah. Sorry, Lex. Sorry, Lex. Mm-hmm. Okay, next time, many happy returns. Be seeing you. He just did the motion. And I'm about to, too. Be seeing you. Thank you.